hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Well, hi everybody and welcome back to the Places Will Go show. We've got another super impressive marketer on the show today in Annabelle Venner. Welcome, Annabelle. Good morning to you both. Fabulous to have you on. Uh, a glittering career in marketing. Now taking a slightly different direction recently in terms of moving into a non-exec space, but with a huge amount of insight and wisdom and experience. Uh, back in the day, I think, started at GSK, had time at British American Tobacco, Burton Biscuits, Coke for nine years, um, which is no mean marketer in both senior marketer and also innovation roles. And then latterly, a uh, bit of an oppo to me in a way, at Hiscox Insurance for 12 years culminating in being global brand director and you don't do those kind of jobs without learning a thing or two um so in the non-exec space uh, annabelle is on the board for tml and foresters and also does consultancy work she's also chair of the marketing society fellows uh, and also uh, nobody else will know this but our sons have competed at rugby <laughs> unfortunately ealing has pretty much always triumphed against Marlow. Um, I don't think it was that reason that my son chose to give up rugby. But anyway, there was on, only ever one winner there. Um, and Annabelle, what's Annabelle about? Um, she's an interesting combination of no BS, but also great empathy. Um, smart, I think prepared to be vulnerable, but more than anything, a wealth of experience of navigating the marketing landscape. So fabulous to have you on the show, Annabelle. I'm looking forward to talking to you both this morning. And thank you for that very flattering intro, Mark. I've forgotten about the rugby connection. My son had Well, there you go, guys. Well, Annabelle, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, and and I, I obviously, I didn't even join the dots around your competing or your competing organization's roles in the past as well. So there we go, right? All gloves off, perhaps. We're frenemies. Uh, we're frenemies. No, we were fine. We, were, we, we never had any issues. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, then, just because it's been recorded, you're not going to admit them anyway. Anyway, look, <laughs> let's, let's crack into today. So, um, Annabelle, tell us, how are you doing? What, what's been going on in your world? It's all good. So as Mark said, I stepped down from my last role at Hiscox back end of 2020. Um, I must admit, I think I'm I'm juggling lots of balls. It's a very different approach now, not having an executive job and somebody to plan your diary with, but enjoying doing all the things Mark's just mentioned. Um, and also I do a lot of, um, I know we'll come on to it, but I do a lot of sort of mentoring um, for people, different stages in their career. So anything from CV to support to, to later people later in their careers, which I thoroughly enjoy. And I think it's a nice time to, to give something back, which obviously both of you know a lot about. Yeah. I mean, there's a strong giving back theme, uh, and, and something somewhere shaped you towards wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. So I suppose let's go there. What, what was growing up for you, Annabelle? So I I was the eldest of three girls uh, and I grew up on a farm in Kent. And I think my father probably would have quite liked a son um, to hand the farm over. But but he got we got three girls. Um, and I think all of us are quite, I would say, spirited uh, women, quite strong women. I, and maybe that just came through how we grew up. Um, 
I had no intention young to do marketing and probably I would not even have known what it was. So I, I did sciences. That was my thing. Uh, and then I went I went to Bristol and my career choice at that time was I was going to fly. Um, I, w- I was a bit of an adrenaline nut. So I did anything from bungee jumping to flying to gliding to parachuting to ev- everything. So that was my career choice. Um, and I did a chemistry degree and then I took a year out and traveled the world and and ended up back doing a non-flying uh, career. So sort of I think I think you sort of go where your direction takes you. And my, my first job was actually up in St. Helens. Um working for for GlaxoSmithKline on their production floor um, and managed to transition into marketing after about three years there. So very much an accidental route into marketing, which I think I hear a lot from people my age. Yeah. And and almost, I think almost because I managed to move within GlaxoSmithKline, it probably was easier for me to get into it. So literally it was a sort of internal move um, from being up on their factory to moving into their marketing team down in London. Incredible. You know, interesting when you talk about um, at the beginning, sort of the, the risk-takingness of, of some of those endeavors you, you took, you, you were partaking in, and then moving all the way to insurance, almost probably one of the most risk-averse areas, or so, certainly protection no. in that sense. I know. I, I don't know. I think, I think it, it, my time at Hiscox, we, so it was founded by, well, Robert Hiscox was there and he, he, he is very, um, you know, he, he had very, very strong views, but he was, he would talk about insurance in a, in a different way, mm. which is, I think those people taking out a policy are buying it for a safety net should the worst happen. But actually within the industry, it is a bit like gambling. You know, you have to sit there and you have to go, what, what is, what is, what can I, do I price this risk? You know, am I going to take a gamble that this is not going to go horribly wrong? Um, and if you think of really big risks, like the stuff we write, well, we're writing to sort of, you're you're insuring big, like the Olympics. I think Hiscox at, at some stage was doing big event insurance. You're, you're taking a risk and you sit there and you go, I hope the worst isn't going to happen. Or if it does, I hope I've priced it properly, but also that we've got the resources lined up to help and support. Yes. So I think internally there's a lot of risk in insurance. Yeah, I, I mean, it is a form of gambling. The The fact that an individual, so Richie, an individual can cost you nothing because you just have to send them their policy documents, or they could cost you tens of millions of pounds because yeah. a lifetime is, a, is such a huge amount. But um, but let, let, let's stick with Hiscox for a moment. 12 years. So you've, got, you've packed it all in, but you've also got longevity. Yeah. Um, what, what kept you at Hiscox for, for 12 years? I, I always like being in an organisation where I think I'm learning, but also I can add value, which is one of the reasons why I left Coke when I did after nine years. So Hiscox sort of when I first started, I would have said marketing was probably quite immature there. Um, and I think we probably had about 15 marketers and we were only marketing in the UK. And then during my time there, we direct businesses were launched in the US and three three or four markets in Europe. We acquired a business in Asia. So this business that felt very entrepreneurial, I think, tripled in size during my time there. And it's quite exciting if you're with a business that is ambitious. And the CEO at the time talked about, you know, big bets. And it just felt very different from working on, on Coke brands. Um, and I was given the opportunity, you know, I moved from coming in in a UK specific role to then sitting on the UK leadership team to moving into a group role that hadn't really existed. We then acquired a business in Asia. So I was asked to go out there for three months. So it just was exciting. And I learned so many new skills, both marketing skills, because 
you owned the customer, you know, when you were selling direct, um, but also those leadership skills, because I think to be successful in that environment, you had to know how to engage with, you know, the finance team, the pricing team, the underwriting, risks, actuaries. I mean, you know, Mark, your, your engagement across the business is really crucial. So you're learning lots of skills all the time. And I think at, just at the end of it, I just realized I'm not, I, I'm not learning anything anymore. And I don't think I'm driving. I don't think, I think my influence on this business is not going to get any more than it is. Um, so it was just a lovely environment and the, and the values of the business were very strong and it was a, it was a great place to work. Just to come in there, Richie, sorry. Um, the, if I combine two of the things you said, I think that's some really powerful advice for people thinking about how to get on. Uh, one is, you know, come in through the side door. We heard that from Lex from L'Oreal a while back. Um, you don't necessarily have to join in marketing, even if you want to get into marketing, but join an organization with ambition because yeah. then things will start to move and happen. Uh, and of course, you know, that's in the world today, um, there are some companies in some sectors that are going to struggle to be ambitious. So I think such great words of wisdom. Thanks, Amanda. Back to yeah, you. And, and I think it's, question. you know, when I joined Coke, I joined for a very specific reason, which was I really wanted to hone my sort of consumer, my advertising, my creative skills. And, and you could have more influence on some of the, you mentioned some of the sort of, I was in an innovation role. So some of those smaller brands, yes, you could you could really impact growth and do some stuff. When you're working on Coke, it's just really difficult because everybody knows it. It's distributed everywhere. So actually, and I'm not putting down the job, but the main impact you could have was make a, a better ad than you did last year and drive better connections with people. But it was really hard to link what you were doing to business growth. Um, and I think you get a lot from working in big organizations. You know, they you get huge opportunities. So I, I went out to the Beijing Olympics you get to you the training you get is fantastic but sometimes it's really hard to draw that line between what you do and business growth or the end result and it was much easier to do that at Hiscox. Annabelle I, I want to come on to um, something you just said around the ability to learn the craft of how to create a great advert mm-hmm. um, and perhaps that's what you know one of the key key moments in Coke were for you but actually, when you then moved over to Hiscox, I mean, one of the things that have always struck me about Hiscox is the innovativeness and the wittiness of your advertising back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I perhaps just want to talk a little bit about, or maybe what were some of the, the things that you focused on um, during the course of that? Because there would be some really iconic advertising came out of Hiscox and, and, and still does. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. So we- I think part of it that there was sort of multifaceted approach. One of it is you need to have the right partner. You need to have the right agency partner who is prepared to go there with you. And actually, VCCP were great. Um, so we, I think the uh, Hiscox had just appointed VCCP when I joined. And and you need to have a partner that wants to be brave and is prepared to challenge the client. Um, and I always see it as a partnership all the time because you need to have those open and honest conversations. I think a second point is Hiscox always spoke about being in it, but not of it. So, yes, we wanted advertising, but we didn't want to have advertising that everybody else was doing. And and we made a point at that time. I think way back when I started, there was a lot of price messaging. So it was like 12 months for the price of nine or it was all about cheapness. And we just went, that's not what we are. That's not the brand we are. Um, And we really challenged um, VCP to give us something brave that yes spoke about us being an insurer but actually the main point of it was was to really connect with our target audience 
and what their feelings were and what they were going through. So that was it was sort of an emotional connection from an insurance brand, which was probably doing something quite different at the time. Um, and and also just internally, there was a it was it was good because the the man the broader management team was very supportive of what we were doing and was on the journey with us. So there was no pushback when we were sharing that advertising around the leadership team. So I think you have to have all of those things. And I think you need to to challenge your agency or not challenge them, but just say to them, give us work that is different and new and give them the scope to do that. I, I'm one of my clients I was working with. Um, I spoke to them about braver work. I said, it's easy to scale work back. So if you get work from the agency, it's easier to go, I really like that for these reasons, but you just need to bring it back a bit. It's much harder to go, there's an idea in here, but it's not brave enough or it's not bold enough. So I always ask, try and I sort of I think that what we brief the agency was give us work that makes us feel slightly uncomfortable because we can always bring it back. Great, great insights about how to uh, how to get great work out of agencies. Um, your chemistry degree, so there's a science underpinning. Yeah. Um, we talk about marketing being the combination of art and science. What what does what does that combination of art and science mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I. It's a bit of a, probably an odd degree for marketers to have, but I think if you went and asked lots of people, they would they would have a real mix. I think what it's um, because I'm sort of quite literate in numbers. Um, businesses, yes, a part of your role as a marketer is to represent consumers and have that deep insight, and then being able to translate that into great advertising or great plans. But you also need to talk to the business about the impact of what you're doing. You know, if you're spending, I think when I started at Hiscox, we probably had a 10 million pound marketing spent across the group. I think when I left, it might have been 60 or 70. You know, the spotlight and Mark Mark was used to obviously managing probably bigger, but, but the spotlight is on you to be able to say to the business, I've invested this money and this is what it has done. This is where the growth has come from. This is this is how anything from I've reduced our cost per acquisition or more importantly, the customer lifetime value has increased in this way. And you need to therefore be be competent in numbers. If and if you're not, or if you don't understand the balance sheet, you need to go and talk to your finance teams and get them to explain it to you. And 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 they'll do it. They're very happy to run that type of course. Um, so I think that's that's where it's helped because because I could take that numbers side of it of it um, and then put that to use. Probably most importantly during my time at Hiscox, because financial services are very numerical machines. You know. Um, there's a lot of data flowing around and there's a lot of focus on finances. For sure. Um, let me let me come back to uh, risk taking and the role of risk taking in, in your career. Now, clearly, you know, you've had an, an uber successful career. And then a year or two ago, you decided that you wanted to go on a different path. Mm-hmm. So how has that been? The different path? Well, I've, I've had a very, I think a lot of people know, I've had a very challenging two years. So, Back in 2019, so it's pre-COVID, um, one of the things that was really nice about Hiscox is once you've been there 10 years, you got a 10-week sabbatical. So I decided, right, over the summer, I'll go off and do big journey. And we went to China and uh, Vietnam and Hong Kong. It was fantastic. And uh, during that time, I thought, you know, I need to, I need to change my career now. I'm going to go and do something different. Um and I don't know if it's one last big role or whether it's it's sort of almost stepping back from it or having a different approach. 
when I came back, unfortunately, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And and when you have something like that happening, it it completely changes your world. And you have to, it's sort of, if the focus is not on you in your career, it's your family and how are you going to deal with it? Um, his scores were really good during that time. And we, we really hoped for a positive outcome. And unfortunately, we didn't get that. My husband passed away two years ago. And that, that you just reevaluate your whole world. So my, my focus then was my kids. So I've got two, two teenage boys, a 17 year old and a 15 year old, you know, GCSEs coming up. I needed the space and the time to allow me to have the moments to, to, to process what had happened, to deal with the grief, to everything. And actually doing the career I'm doing now allows me that space. So it gives me the opportunity to go, do you know, I'm having a really crappy morning. I'm just going to go and walk the dog or, Somebody says, do you fancy having a coffee or a lunch? So this this path for me now allows me to focus on my kids, allows me to still do the stuff I love doing. Um, and it gives me that space to go, do you know, the, the big career-minded focused Annabelle is not there anymore. I'm I My husband's not there anymore. But what's that path now I need to carve in my life? And I'm slowly getting there. Um, it probably would have happened this way probably a little bit um but but something happening like that really causes you to focus what's on is what is important for you in your life yeah th- thank you Annabelle for speaking so candidly uh, mm-hmm. and of course our sympathies for, for your husband passing mm-hmm. um what, what came through when you were talking about that though was reminding me when you said at the top about the spiritedness so can, can you tell us tell us about what what that what that means to you your your spirit um I, I, I always love being with people and I, I always think that there is a, I'm, I've always been quite an optimistic person, I think, and, and always try and find a way through things. Um, but I also believe in positivity of stuff and looking for that positivity and, and looking, you know, and if you reflect on, it could have been a really tough time with my kids, but actually as a little unit we've become closer we we still have laughs we still do things together we still have fun um and I think an important part of work for me was always yes you get the job done and there there is there is a reason why you're there but also having fun while you do it so really understanding with your teams how to motivate them and how to connect with them um, and translate that into to ways of working and everybody likes to be led or, or work with in a very different way um so having that openness open and honest conversation and and taking those moments out to celebrate when stuff is great but also probably when stuff goes wrong you can still have a laugh sometimes when stuff goes wrong um but it's just about celebrating those moments um you know and and going back sort of risk taking there Richie you know I have I have done some some what looks back now slightly mad things in my career but I think I've always gone into it in a sort of quite a positive optimistic Mode. If you think if you think of my first career choice, there was I, you know, a southern girl, probably could say posh southern girl because I grew up on a farm in Kent. And my first job was up in Lancashire, leading 10 foremen. Um, and and I didn't think twice about it. I just thought, Do you know, this would be really good chance, <laughs> chance to be in a different environment, learn different skills. Um, and that's probably why also I decided to go and do my three months in Asia. Wow. And well, first, thank you for sharing all that. It it's made me quite emotional, emotional actually, um, from from what you said. And I, I just uh, perhaps 
what, what made me reflect on was what what sort of advice do you think your boys would give you oh what now or yeah now um, i mean it's really interesting because i i've been approached about big jobs um in the last 18 months and i i've asked them about it and i've said what would you think and they go we don't want you to do it because I was I was always there for my kids. I always did a lot of things for my for my two boys. Um, so I uh, and sometimes when I reflect on it, I go, I was there, but I might not have been there. I was there in the background doing the organisation, but but we have so much lovely time together now, and we you know we have breakfast together if, if I can. Weekends, you know, we always have a meal together on a Sunday night, and we try and do things. And I think it's brought us closer in that way. So I don't think they would want to lose some of that emotional, stronger emotional connection that I've got with them now. Um, so I think that would that would definitely be one thing that they would want to keep. And I also I do talk to them and say, is there anything I need to be doing differently? You know, what what should we be doing? Is there anything I can do for you? And I can't remember having that conversation when I was busy with my big global job running around the world because it would have been more practical ways I'd have been supporting them. Like, you know, you've got this rugby match or we're doing this or have you done your school homework? So my relationship with them has changed hugely and I really value it and I wouldn't change it for the world now. There's also a thing, I think you said about 15 and 17. So as they grow up, they become mirrors to all the advice you've ever given them. Mm -hmm. um, so a bit like a boomerang, but in a good way. Um, but but the, that's lots of lovely things you've said there. And you're, you're reaping the benefit of how you've invested in helping your kids to, to grow up. Um, let's, let's come on to mentoring because it's pretty allied to that. Uh, you did mention about how mentoring has been important to you. So we, we always ask guests, because obviously we have the mentoring Gen Z scheme, um, which we always encourage people who are listening in to find out a bit more about um, trying to help the next generation. What, what has mentoring been for you in your career, both in terms of being mentor and mentee? Yeah, so I first started doing it. So um, I could just try and think way back when at Hiscox, there, we identified that there was a problem with not enough women. At, at, around senior roles and it's probably it's probably not just you know it's reflected in a lot of places so um I joined a sort of group to try and change that so to try and get into why we might have that problem and then working with women or putting yourself out there to say if you want anybody to come and talk to so and I I found it immensely satisfying when somebody when I was trying talking through a challenge somebody had and based on the advice and coaching and mentoring, they overcame it and then they were successful. And successful might not mean promotion. It Success comes in lots of different ways for people. And I just got such a sense of, sense of satisfaction from doing that. Um, and then I've moved on from doing it. There's there's a few organisations now. Obviously, I do some stuff with you, part of the Marketing Academy, and there's a few other ones. And, and literally, I do anything from helping somebody um university students write their cvs it's amazing i don't know what advice they're getting but but some of their cvs are absolutely shocking and i'm sort of helping them rewrite them or um occasionally like there's i think two or three people connected me off the show i did last week on gen z so i'm having some sessions with them and then there's more senior women where they're struggling with getting it it normally is around that next role um and I just feel that I'm in a position that I can give them some advice and and some people I meet I would have would have never ever counted before in in my role and it's fantastic because 
you get to speak to people doing really impressive stuff in different organizations and I can learn as much as them using my knowledge and my experience to help them overcome a, a bit of an issue I didn't have I didn't I wasn't a mentee when I was growing up there was a few people I sort of admired for stuff they'd done or their leadership skills um, but I just think a lot of people need that little bit of a helping hand these days um, and if I can help them then that's fantastic it's not a lot of time to to give to it you know Annabelle it's, it's interesting when you talk about that sort of moment with those CVs and those young people I often find that a lot of the time young people have this sort of linear view of how they want their life to go and what success almost looks like um and i think that you know without having people like yourself to kind of open open the sort of the you know the floodgates almost into some of the realities um you know i think i think we're just setting ourselves up or our next generation for for sort of a bit of delusional sort of thinking in many ways yeah i mean um, it was interesting because i was asked, somebody said to me the other day i've been asked um what my five-year plan looks like at this business they've asked me to say where do I want to be in five years and I know it's sometimes used as a bit of a sort of interview question I never had a five-year plan I didn't think I ever had a three-year plan a lot of for me was what's the if an opportunity comes along does it feel right does it not feel right how am I going to learn and do something a bit different I never had a big plan um I never had a plan as an 18 year old Richie either you know in terms of and if you look at my career, it's gone all over the place. And it took me a long time to, to work out who I was, what motivated me and, and my learning style. But you know what's interesting what you just said there? Because I, I thought when reflecting on some of the experiences you've had, GSK, Coke, Hiscox, it felt there was a little bit of deliberateness um, that went into perhaps even in the immediacy of the moment as to yeah. what I could get from that organization and that skill set and that role at that moment in time, which then urges you to do it. So yeah. perhaps not elongated Correct. career plan, but yeah. perhaps a an acute one in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I took I very much leaving leaving to cope to go to Hiscox. My mindset there was, I need to go somewhere where I can learn and develop, and and I have a stronger link between my effort and results. And yeah. and I felt I needed to go somewhere very different. Going from Coke to insurance was never in my mindset. And it took a long time to get me along to the first interview because I just went, it's insurance, insurance. But I knew I knew the next role for me wasn't a go to Cabri or go to Diageo. It needed to be something very different. So that was that mindset there. Leaving um, Burton's Biscuits to go to Coke was a, the only thing I knew at that time was I need to go somewhere where I can hone my consumer skills. So, and I, I encourage people to think about don't be set on, I need to go to this company or I want that role. Think about it, What what what's important? So the value set was important to me, the business. It was around the skill set, the opportunity. So try and think what you want from your next role rather than going, I want a role and it needs to be in that company. Because often you'll be disappointed if you can't get that. Some, some You know, it's about instinct. Um, so what, what's the... What's the best and worst decisions you've made based on instinct? Um, probably a good one, which um, was to go and go to Asia for three months. And it was really interesting people's reaction to that because my boys at the time were quite young. So they that, this was 2014. Um, so I think one of them was, was nine and the other would have been seven. 
So I sort of said, I, I went, yes, this is great opportunity, learn new skills. I had to do a full review of the marketing team, new country, really exciting. Wish I'd done this type of thing earlier. And everybody looked at me and said, how's your, how's your, how's your husband going to be able to cope? I went, he's fine. He's more than, but I don't think they would have asked that if it, the roles had been reversed. So that was a really good, but it was just definitely in a moment I was offered it, went home. My husband said, of course, just go for it. The, the worst decision probably would have been going to work at British American Tobacco. So going, so I had transferred from um, working in St. Helens to working at for Smith Clan Beach in, in London. I think I'd been in the marketing team for about nine months, 12 months when they merged with Sterling Healthcare and I was a fallout of that. So I was made redundant. So this is really early in my marketing career. And I was like, what do I do? Where do I go? Do I stay in marketing? Do I stay in London? And effectively, BAT was the first job I was offered. I started and I went, this is not the right culture. It's not the right industry. I didn't want to work in tobacco. And, and it was a it took the role on a, a sort of almost fear factor that I needed a job in London and it needed to be in marketing without thinking about what I was doing. And I left within six months. Wow. Um, but that was a massive learning experience for me in terms of really thinking about what you want before you leap. And actually, maybe at the time being not working for three months probably would have been all right. <laughs> so all the way through now that that Fit that culture, that really deep understanding of are you going to really be happy there? Is it going to work for you? Is so important. And and I imagine back at that time, it was probably still quite taboo to leave an organization within a few months of joining, and and perhaps the the fear of the stain on your CV that it might leave as a consequence. I think today things are quite different. Um, what would you what would you say to that? Um, it must have been a brave decision, well, to leave, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just, Richie, it just, it didn't work for me. It, it, everything was wrong about it. Um, and I just wasn't happy there. Um, and I think because I can, it's, it's, if you've got, if you can explain it, I think people, it's fine to explain it. It's fine to say, I, did, I made a mistake. It wasn't right, you know, and, and that's, and it was nobody ever called it into account that actually I only had this job for six months. And I think I even left it on my CV. You know, some people might say, hide it. And I go, well, it's not, I worked there. Yeah, I went for the wrong reasons, but actually it did, wasn't the right fit for me, but I learned from it and I moved on. Um, I think there's lots of conversation you get out there about people being seen sometimes to move jobs and whether that's right or wrong and it does it mean something about you but I think if you've got a, if you can explain it really honestly about you know why you left or what why you might be looking it might be as simply as we it wasn't the right fit for me um they would they were never going to get the best out of me yeah. having that that situation and that working environment um, I, mean, I think that this is a really big point that I think you probably learn an awful lot from that experience. Um, and so it's almost, you know, don't, don't regret anything. Uh, actually, you've reminded me of something that a good friend of mine said, Frith, hi Frith, if you're listening, um, that, that what seems like such a pressing thing in the moment, we get more and more reductive over time. And what was a chapter of our lives, it becomes a page and then a paragraph and then a sentence and a couple of words. And it just, you get more reductive. And in the rear view mirror, what is a big deal isn't really a big deal, but can be a huge learning point. Um, 
so uh, so no th thank you for speaking so, so candidly about about that again your honesty shines through so um i mean let's let's talk a little bit about leadership because you've led lots of different teams tell us about annabelle as a leader so i I don't, I don't know where my leadership skills came from early, because as I said, my first job was was leading 10 foremen. But I, I, I'm not very good at blowing my own trumpet. And sometimes that could have been a negative. So what I've always wanted to do is go, you can see what I've done by my deliverables, but also lead through my team and let my team shine as well. And I remember at one point where, at Hiscox, you were you were. It's called being made a partner. It's not it's not the same as in a law firm. You know, it's just about they have they have they award people partnerships. It means you just you get involved in in more senior discussions around the business. And I was made a partner, and uh, the chairman at the time said to me, called me in and told me, and he said, "Do you know, Annabelle, you need to you need to shout about what you're doing a lot more because if you'd been some of our underwriters, they'd have been knocking on my door every other week telling me how brilliant they were, but that's not me. I don't I don't do that." Um, and maybe at some stages it's held me back, but I get I do get a lot of um sense of satisfaction through my team doing well. Um, I think always I've probably sort of been quite authentic in my approach. And I think Mark, you know, you, what you see is what you get with me. I'm I'm sort of quite out there, I'm quite direct with people. Um, I don't I don't like hiding behind things, and if I think something is not working, I won't hide from it. And I will, you know, have the conversation, you know, in my, in my past, I've had conversations with people who've really want really ambitious and have, have felt that they're owed the next role. And I've been happy to have conversations and go, I don't think you're going to get it here. And actually, it might be better off to go and explore this somewhere else through the organisation. So, um, and I... That, that's probably me. I, I like to be, you know, quite clear with people to say, you know, this is this is where we're going as a team. Almost go do it. And and my role, especially in my last role there, I saw myself more as a sort of facilitator or an unblocker. They all they all had. They were all really really smart people. I couldn't do what they do. They were all specialists. And actually, it was my job there to help them get what they needed to do if they were facing challenges or something they didn't have the resource or budget to help them be successful through unblocking that um and I think as you go through an organization your role as a leader changes um and be, and you you just have to have that flexibility and agility to deal with it you know the, the leadership role leading a team in Asia is very different to leading a team in the UK and you have to be able to understand the culture um, and have that flexibility and agility to be able to change depending on the, the circumstances and leading through COVID, which was what I did for nine months at Hiscox, you have to change again because you're having to make conversations, sorry, decisions really, really quickly. Um, so I think a great leader is is around, you know, being able to not just stick to one course, but being able to to be agile and make make quick decisions. And and then when when it's a bit more smooth sailing, make more look to the long term and have a vision that that your team can get behind. Brilliant. Annabelle, we've come to the end of our time. It's flown by in an absolute jiffy. So I'll 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 lead with the last question. Mm -hmm. You talk about change and as a leader, the need for for constant change and agility. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to advise your younger self about the type of changes that you would want your younger self 
to do or to make. What, yeah. what, would, what would be some of the changes that you would suggest? So how far are we going back now? Me, me as an 18-year-old or as a school? <laughs> you, you, you take us as far as you like. I, I would just say, I think people have to expect change. And I think you have to be able to expect disappointment as well. Things and things, you, it's never going to work out the way you think. It really isn't. And if I look at what, what I thought I was going to be doing as an 18-year-old, that my the 18 year old would not recognize me today and would and would sort of look at me and go how how did that happen so i don't i don't think i would particularly change anything i did as a youngster but i think it's just about being more aware that you know your career path isn't is it can be hard can be challenging you have to be up for change but also i would have said and and take people along with you and create strong networks so I've been I've been lucky in that all through my career I I the, in the past month I probably reconnected or met up with Pete, six people from my Coke days I left Coke in two thousand and eight having a group of supportive people either personal friends or business colleagues that you have with you is is hugely powerful so they can be that person you can phone up and go. You know, I'm really struggling with this, or I need an agency to do this, or this is a pain in the butt. Can you help me? But they can also open doors to you, and they can be the ones that give you give you a little bit of work. So I just think keeping those connections with you, and if you're going to leave, when you leave something and leave a role, leave a position, do it nicely, because you, you're going to people circle around. You, you're going to reconnect with them. You're going to bump in with them, and one day they might be hugely important to you. It might be really beneficial. So. I just I think it's just that acknowledgement that change happens it life life has full of bumps and you know but 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 just take it and sometimes you have to take challenges and do things a little bit differently and I don't know as an 18 year old I would have been aware of that but you've you've, you've paid that forward in a way um I mean what you've just said is the epitome of what this show is all about that uh life is full of bumps and they mm -hmm define our journey and create energy and learning um th thank you so much annabelle it's been it's been a pleasure and a and a privilege i'm just going to do my best to try and sort of pull out some highlights to, to, for people to take away so we, we heard about you talking about being spirited and, and i think that came through in the sense of adventure to take sabbaticals to take um to take different moves to to abort when it was the right thing to do um in the case of british american tobacco um you you wanted to fly you didn't literally but i think <laughs> you did you did proverbially yeah. um I, I loved when you talked about working with bccp encouraging them to challenge you so uh, in some insights into how to get great advertising work um also you you had a sparkle in your eye when you were talking about ment mentoring mm -hmm. uh, and the sense of satisfaction and giving others a helping hand in any way you could um of course you talked to the harsh reality of losing a loved one how that changed uh, you and your life to some extent um and and the the pride with which you talked about your your boys um and through it all though a positivity and honesty um still celebrating still laughing which is really uh-lifting uh, you talked about being instinctive you don't necessarily need a plan shit happens change happens yeah. you've got to roll with it um so it's what a, what a pleasure um great insights i think for for everybody not just people in their early days of their careers uh, um but thank you again annabelle thank you it's lovely to talking to you both this morning